Ooh, a chest. I'm going to open it. Wait, wait, don't do that. It might be a mimic. Oh, we just went through a room with 50 other chests in it, and not a single one turned out to be a mimic. Why are you so sure about this one? Well, all the dead carcasses around it seem to be a good reason. Oh, come on. That's just a coincidence. Look, there's even a sign. Not a mimic. Would a mimic have a sign like that? (laughs) It would. It definitely would. On this episode of Becoming DM, we talk about another set of our favorite monsters. Hey guys, this is Felicia. And this is John. And if you're wondering, another of my favorite monsters, I'd miss the first one. You can, catch, <laughs> <laughs> you can catch that episode. It's episode 16. So just go to becomingdm.com slash EP16 and you can listen to the first one. But if you haven't heard it, that's okay. You can still listen to this one and you won't be lost. Very true. Very true. Um, So for this one and this set of monsters, we are kicking things off with one of my personal favorites that was also mentioned in our skit. It's the Mimic. It's kind of like an iconic uh, role-playing game monster at this point. It really is, yeah. And I mean, honestly, for me, like one of the most hilarious monsters that you can offer just because of its particular characteristics. Now, mimics are known very much for their shape-shifting abilities. Um, And we're talking specifically about inanimate objects. So they can't shape-shift into like a bird or a bat or anything like that. They shape-shift into things like boxes and chests and um, coffins, things like that. Things that like people would be oh so tempted to pry open, for example, and see what's there, even if there's a sign that says this is not a mimic. (laughs) <laughs> um but not a of, usual tactic let's just say that <laughs> you know it's pretty clever for a creature i can appreciate that if a, if a mimic was able to make a sign that says hey i'm not a mimic I, i'd be pretty impressed but um that's it's go ahead go ahead and eat me that's that you yeah got, you, you know got what me. <laughs> you got me you got me um but it is it's its main method of hunting its prey is essentially to passively sit back as an inanimate object and wait for something to reach it and then it just literally latches onto you um, and tries to eat you right off the bat. So um, I usually like to try and make it a humorous situation when I have something like a chest or something like that where it's like, ooh, there's something, you know, tempting. I want to open this up. And then it, you know, tries to gobble them up. Um, definitely one of my favorite little, like, sneak attack kind of creatures. So, um, but as far as the stats for this guy, it's it's not like a high challenge rating creature. You know, they're they're not like a main boss or anything like that, but definitely great for if you're exploring caves or uh, abandoned places, you know, dungeon crawls, things like that. It's a nice little kind of like booby trap type of thing, if you will, like, oops, guess what? It's a mimic. Yep, yep. So in, in D&D, that, that CR rating is going to be a two, so for a second level party or so, and in Pathfinder, mm-hmm. it's going to be a four. So yes. stats are a little bit different between the two, but but still yeah. not terribly far off. Yeah, not not terrible. And and uh, it's certainly feasible for most groups. Um, now, I think for Pathfinder, it's the same as in D&D, but it's got high strength and constitution, right? Mm-hmm. For yours as well as for D&D. Um, and then wisdom, um, you know, Middle of the road, not terrible. Um, and I believe it's average intelligence. It's a, what, a five, I think. 
It's it's five in D and D and Pathfinder. I want to say it's ten. So there's oh, a little bit a different little there. Time. You could actually potentially have a conversation with the mimic in in uh, Pathfinder and. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so mimics in Pathfinder actually can make signs that say, hey, I'm not yeah, a mimic. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow. Um, so we were talking about some of its special abilities. I already mentioned before, it's its main thing is that it's a shape changer, thus the name mimic. Um, its biggest thing is it, it's got this adhesive ability. Like it literally like, like just sucks right on. It latches on. Um, and you'll have to use strength in order to get free from it. Um, but be advised that if you do a strength, like if your character um, does try to use strength to get away from it, it's going to be rolling at a disadvantage. So that's just something to keep in mind if you use that particular tactic. I always picture this as like the mimic is covered in flypaper, and you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever touched flypaper, but it I, it is a pain to get off. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, telling you before for some reason that like the mimic tended to remind me of the blob. Just like I mean, like once it's on, it's almost near impossible to get off. And obviously, you can definitely break free of a mimic without hurting yourself too much. But I always just envisioned the blob from like the 1980s, like that was the type of thing. But um, you've also now, got. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and and it it can attack you while it's in mm. that form of the whatever yes. it's taking to lure you in, but it also can change to its natural amorphous blob shape. Blobby so form. you could yes. actually be fighting the blob. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I see every time I see it. <laughs> um, it's also got its pseudopod attack as well. So um, if you get hit, you're still subjected to that adhesive trait, and then it's got the grappling. Um, so, again, it's going to be very similar. If it grapples your tar- your target character, then that character is going to be rolling at a disadvantage for grappling as well. Um, a couple of little interesting things. You had something that you were going to mention. I was going to say also with I the with the grappler is if the uh, if the uh, mimic continues to attack you while you've got that adhesive effect yeah. on you, it does have advantage on those rolls. Um, again, this is for for D anD. d Yes, so you're absolutely right. That is a very good point. And a very it's a smaller nuance, but it's definitely one that can significantly affect how the how the um the fight goes. Interesting little thing I saw that it had it, it had an immunity to acid, which I thought was a very random thing to have an immunity for. <laughs> um be like, oh, I just happened to, you know, have this little thing of acid I'm gonna try and throw on it, but oh, doesn't work. Um <laughs> So, and then you were saying like you in Pathfinder um, that the mimics have enough of an intelligence level to be able to carry on conversations, which I thought was kind of interesting. Actually, um, in in, D, in the D&D rules as written, it even says that some mimics can can learn to speak and carry on conversations and trade yeah. information with people that come into their territory. I was like, oh, very interesting. And not just eat them? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they're that's trading funny. information for like the flunky that's part of the group that they don't want there anymore. Yeah, <laughs> take him. We don't want him. It reminds me of, um, what is it? The Was it the little shop of horrors or whatever? That big plant that's like, feed me. Feed me. See yeah. that's what this reminds me of um as far as tactics we mentioned before its biggest thing is hiding or mimicking itself um in order to lure uh, prey in uh you know it it makes itself look like chests doors coffins anything that like i said they would be interested in in opening or touching um i I like to to, i like i like to when we're talking about disguising Mm -hmm. i like to try and think of things that the the players may not 
automatically equate to a mimic. So yeah. I mean, doors and chests are, are pretty standard fare from what I've seen. Potential, uh, yes. uh, coffin that you mentioned is, is one that I've never heard of before. And that's <laughs> kind of coffee. a little bit diabolical. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're getting killed by the coffin. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, another one I like to do is um, altars. So, like, mm-hmm. you can make an altar with something very tempting on top of it, you know, like a jewel or, like, some sort of, you know, um, coin or a book or something like that. Um, and books, too. They can make themselves look like books. So, just anything, really, that, like, you know, if, if your group is doing their typical dungeon crawl, they would be interested in and in trying to touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will always go for the closest person. So, you know, if you have multiple people in your group, it's going to go for whoever's reaching for it first. Um, And if the victim falls or, you know, falls prey to it, it's going to keep biting and eating it until that person is able to wrench free from it. So if they're if they're dying, it will continue to eat them in my mind because it's it's doing this for food. Right. Yeah. Why not? You've got somebody there and you've got them down and they're no longer fighting. Why would you go and fight somebody else? Just your meal that's right there. (laughs) Would you give up your steak dinner? I think not. (laughs) Um, and then if you do attack it while it's eating, it may try to flee. So it just sort of depends, like self-preservation might kick in and you might be able to actually like, you know, shoot away if you will. (laughs) Yep. Well, and, and also keep in mind that if you, if you do have it, um, knock down one of the players to zero and it keeps eating each time it has a successful attack there, that's a failed death saving throw. So another um, dead. In, in that way, if the if the other players are not as um, on the ball with like, oh, get this thing off of him, mm-hmm. it could cause a lot of problems there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the reasons why I tend to like mimics, because in spite of their, you know, lower challenge rating um, or their relatively average challenge rating, there's still certain things that create that can create complications and challenges for your party that aren't necessarily as straightforward as, you know, hand to hand combat kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the the other thing to kind of tie into that is with that adhesive trait, mm-hmm. um, the, the book specifically says anything adheres to it that touches it. So that means weapons. If, you're, if you've got your fighter uh, going in there with a sword and he hits with mm-hmm. the sword, that is now adhered to the mimic and he has to make and he does have to make that strength check to get his sword out of the mimic. Yeah. I mean, you can even apply it for things like if they're fighting and like their purse of coins falls out and all the coins fall into the mimic and well, you just lost 50 gold pieces. Sucks for you. Wow, you're being mean. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that last episode we were talking about rolling a one? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, they're, they're a fun monster to do creative things with. If you just kind of sit back and think about like, oh, what would happen if I was fighting a mimic? Yeah, and I mean, if you really want to go off the beaten path, you could feasibly have uh, have like a mimic living in a city that impersonates yeah. even different things, and and you right. could have a you could have a whole storyline based upon people disappearing and nobody knows why, and it ends up that it's a mimic at the center of it. In fact, it happens to be a mimic. I may have to do that. <laughs> that does sound like a fun little murder mystery. It was the mimic the whole time. <laughs> Love it. So I think that's what we wanted to talk about, about mimics, unless you had something else. Oh, no, no. By all means, I turn over to you now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my first monster for for this episode is the Aboleth. And um, I had had heard about the Aboleth a while back, and I really 
hadn't dug much into it. And I saw an episode of Puffin Forest where he was describing an encounter that he had his players go through with an Aboleth. And mm-hmm. the way he described it was really funny. I was like, oh, I need to check this out. And they're kind of terrifying. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, so there's the, there are these ancient creatures from before the gods were there, uh, based mm-hmm. upon the, the lore in the book. Um, and the, the picture itself looks like, I don't know, like this really angry tentacle fish that has a fin, but tentacles and sharp pointy teeth. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and as you can expect from that body form, they do live in watery environments. So, um, don't, don't go in the water kind of, kind of situation <laughs> here. Uh, Stat wise, they are a little bit higher than some of the some of the monsters we've talked about before uh, in D anD D. They're a CR ten, okay. Pathfinder a CR seven. So um, nice for those mid level adventurers that that you may have it uh, going on there. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of their stats are are high except for Dex, and strength is is very high in both games. It's twenty or higher. Um, so. Wow. As far as getting in there and plugging away at people for combat, probably not going to have a, a big trouble doing that. Yeah. But um, special abilities, being underwater, it can obviously breathe in the water, but it, al- it also is amphibious, so it can breathe in the air as well. So hmm. um, I guess if it really wanted to pursue you on land, it could, but <laughs> probably won't happen. Um, but some of the things that, that make it kind of interesting, uh, it has a mucus cloud. So, <laughs> yeah. Nasty. With COVID. Uh, so, so any creature that's adjacent to the Aboleth is going to have to make a constitution saving throw or fortitude if you're in Pathfinder. And if they fail it, they're only going to be able to breathe underwater for uh, 1d4 or three hours, depending upon D&D or Pathfinder. Now, mm-hmm. This may not be that big of a deal if you're running an underwater campaign and and everybody's underwater already. But if they have to go back to the surface or something, they're going to have to wait or they're going to have a have a problem. And if uh, if they get hit again, that just basically redoes that. uh, If they're in the mucus cloud again, it redoes that timer. So um, if 20 minutes pass and you're in the mucus cloud again, well, hey, three more hours onto your timer. (laughs) Um, it does use telepathy. So it, it being underwater, it's not going to talk, uh, with vocal cords necessarily. It'll use telepathy. Makes sense. And, and if a com- creature communicates it with it telepathically, it can learn what the creature's greatest desires are, which is really cool when we start talking about some of the other stuff that it can do here in a minute. Hmm. Um, because... I'm going to skip ahead one that I was talking about. It, it has uh-huh. a, it has an enslave capability, so it can charm a target. And if it, if a, if it sa- fails a saving throw, it's charmed until it takes damage or the Aboleth is on a different plane than the target is. So if it's on the water plane, water plane or whatever. Gotcha. Um, so knowing, I, I kind of equate the knowing greatest desires to also enslaving, like the kind of convincing mm. it to be enslaved kind of thing. Very persuasive. <laughs> Especially because it knows what you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it does get a multi-attack. Uh, it can attack three mm. times with a tentacle in a turn. And if a creature is hit by it, it has to make a saving throw or become diseased. Now, the d- disease in d and uh, or Pathfinder is a little bit different. Um, in Pathfinder, it's considered the slime special ability. 
Uh, but basically what happens in either is your skin becomes translucent and slimy Ew. and you have to stay in the water. If you leave the water, you start to take damage. And yeah. and there are only a couple of different ways to take this off. Uh, in D&D, it's like a high-level heal spell um, or some other spells like that. In Pathfinder, there's a couple of things. I don't remember off the top of my head what they are. Um, so yeah, it's it, it can be wow. pretty... Uh, pretty uh devastating to somebody who needs to get out of the water yes he Um, might be uh getting left behind in this adventure because he can't (laughs) go anywhere (laughs) Uh, Uh, and and you probably have guessed this with how we've been talking about it so far uh it does get a set of legendary actions Mm -hmm. as well as lair actions so the legendary actions it gets are detect so if if uh uh, after somebody acts, it can do a perception. So that really reduces your chances of sneaking up on it, Mr. Rogue. Uh, <laughs> um, it can do a tail swipe attack and it can do psychic drain, which um, if he has somebody using that enslave uh, special ability we talked about, he can take hit points from them and put them to him. So drain like 10 hit points from you and now I have 10 hit points more. Now, that does allow the, the target to make another saving throw against the enslaved skill, but um, that is kind of an interesting thing. So if he's got a lower value enslaved guy, he can just drain from them and be like, ha sucker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <My> sucks. <laughs> when it comes to tactics for these guys, uh, obviously it's going to try to use enslave on, on uh, we'll say, some of the more high-value targets. Uh, being that that its dex is so low, if you have a spellcaster that starts using area of effect spells that are, make it easier to hit um, it with its higher AC, um, he probably will try to enslave that target. Or if you've got a, let's say, it's a high AC tank, that may be the perfect target for for him to enslave as well. Hmm. We said before that he's, he's really interested in doing melee attacks. And um, if if... They are intelligent, so they're not just going to fight to the death. They will flee if they get to a certain certain hit point level. And because they've got a 40-foot swimming speed, and your players probably have maybe a 15-foot because Mm -hmm. they get halved underwater, he's probably going to get away. (laughs) And I like um, the fact that he has. uh, they have telepathy, and it's telepathy to 120 feet. So if, if they're coming through this kind of dungeon to get to him and... Even if he doesn't have a line of sight, he can start kind of antagonizing the players uh, telepathically, either to set a, a really um, almost like horror type scene, or just to get them all all uh, just angry and and stuff like that. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think the popular that, girl in school. <laughs> I think that that gives you a, a really uh, cool option for uh, for kind of setting the scene with the Aboleth. Uh, and since it can do telepathy, you can do things like interactions and stuff like that. I also would say, um, since they were based on the lore, they were banished by the gods. I would say that anybody that is a God worshiping type character, like your clerics, your paladins, things like Mm -hmm. that, um, that, that openly show that they're worshiping this God, I would guess that they would be, um, all other things considered, probably be their target first, just because they have such disdain for the gods. Uh, they would they would attack that way. Mm, interesting. So, huh? 
That's the Avila. <laughs> and that's the Avila, <laughs> folks. <laughs> that's interesting. I'll have to try and see about using one of those um, characters on one of my future campaigns. There's a lot that it seems like you can really do with it. Yeah, I have. Uh, I haven't personally used them before, but I do have a storyline coming up where my players are uh, for doing a task for something, get, getting these magical items that allow them to breathe underwater. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if I if they go that route and decide to explore somewhere underwater, I may may have to may have to introduce them to an Avalath. Interesting. Just hopefully so they know. Hopefully they're not up. listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn off the radio, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We're sponsored this week by Darkwind. If you like the concepts within role-playing games like building your character with stats, a class, and a race that you take out into a massive world to adventure, then Darkwind may be the perfect option to fill your time between sessions. The best part? You don't have to coordinate five different players' schedules to have a session go on. You can play anytime, on your own or with others. To play Darkwind for free, go to play.darkwind.org and create your character. Speaking of uh, ancient creatures, um, the next choice we have here on the list, which is back over to me, um, is another type of species that's very old um, and kind of part of the name here, but it's a dragon. Um, And I'm not just speaking, we know that, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, there is a plethora of dragons out there. I mean, there are so many to choose from. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a ridiculous amount of the monster manual that's, that's lot, yeah. <laughs> devoted like, to dragons. <laughs> like one third of the manual is a dragon. Um, <laughs> so we get that, you know, and then we're not going to like belabor this by making this an extremely long, intricate, detailed topic about all the different types of dragons. But we're just kind of covering general traits. At least I am covering general traits about what I appreciate about, appreciate about dragons in general. Um, one being that, you know, like we're saying, there is practically a dragon for every situation, every environment, um, every scenario. And that's kind of the beauty of them is that, you know, if you're running a campaign um, and that is taking place in a swamp or maybe you're in a desert or you're up in the freezing Arctic mountains, you can place a dragon there if you want, because there is more than likely a dragon for that particular environment. Um Generally speaking, you know, dragons live in caves and mountaintops. Um, I came across one type of dragon when I did a campaign that um, had taken over an abandoned tower. So, I mean, and that was a particularly young dragon. But, you know, I think the versatility of dragons is that, you know, there's so many subspecies and there's so many different types um, that you can find them practically anywhere. Makes them a very usable monster for almost any campaign. I I like to picture the dragons that live in the swamp as like... Kind of like hillbilly kind of kind of <laughs> dragons with the, the with real banjo. southern accent <laughs> and playing a banjo. Yeah, like, I mean, go on, why now, not? Get. Go on, get. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if you want to give your dragon a, a hillbilly accent, by all means, go for it. Um, so you know, another thing about dragons um, is that their alignment or their alignment can vary just as much um you know you can have lawful good all the way to chaotic evil there is a, a dragon pretty much everywhere on the spectrum when it comes to alignment which is 
you know, whether you're the type to use alignment or not, you know, it, it definitely can change the dynamics that you have with that creature. Maybe they can be reasoned with, um, you know, maybe there's something that convinced them you can speak with them or, you know, something that like uh, an exchange of services to get them to back off. I mean, unless you're dealing with like a complete chaotic evil dragon, you know, that there might be options other than combat to have with these types of creatures. So it's just something to keep in mind if you do decide to utilize a dragon um, for your characters. Uh, as far as our stats, I'm going to say it where it varies just as widely. <laughs> um, I'm like off my game today and talking about things, but um, their challenge ratings uh, can vary just as widely as everything else about dragons. You can have a very young dragon who has a challenge rating of like two, and then you can have this crazy ancient, ancient dragon of gargantuan size that is like a CR 24. So, you know, that's kind of the beauty of it is that, you know, you can, depending on the level of your group, you can choose a dragon that's appropriate. Uh, that's an appropriate fit for them. And the, the important thing to note there is in addition to the age of the dragon, dragon mm-hmm. influencing it, it's also the, the color oh, yeah. of the dragon. Um, so like a black dragon, uh, wormling is a, is a CR two, but a different color, um, is going to be higher. Uh, oh, yeah. so red dragon. Or, you know, and then they have the different types for environments. They have swamp dragons and things like that. So, I mean, you have so many different types of dragons to choose from. Believe me, go check out the monster manual. <laughs> Every time um, you say swamp dragon, I want to say swamp dragon. <laughs> swamp dragon. <laughs> They're very territorial. Um, and then, as you probably have guessed, immunities also are very diverse. Uh, depending on the type of dragon, it can be immune to cold. It can be immune to fire. It can be immune to acid. Just read the stats on your particular dragon to see what that particular immunity is for that dragon. Um, generally speaking, most species, not all, but most species can fly. And you have some that can swim as well. Probably that swamp dragon probably has maybe a bit of ability to, to swim. Thank you for saying it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> we like to call it swamp dragon around here. Um, and then your dragons overall are all going to have pretty much a multi-attack. Um, so... Typically, it's three actions. You'll get one bite and two claw attacks that you can offer. Uh, If you want to do a separate individual attack, you have other things that they can do. Um, Some have individual tail attacks. Some have breath weapons like ice or fire. If you have a a dragon that is chaotic evil, they also have uh, what's, what's called a frightful presence, which is like very scary, intimidating to your characters. And that will impact them for a certain period of time. Um, and very much like your Aboleth, they have legendary actions. So they also have detect and they also have tail attack. Uh, of course, for those that fly, have wing attack. So you have those options as well. And depending on the dragon is depending on how many legendary actions you get. I think the adult red dragon gets like three, for example. And then sort of like your Aboleth, they also have lair actions. And that varies widely depending on the dragon as well, where you find them um, and what particular type of dragon that is. Um, and then, of course, when we come to tactics, for the most part, dragons are territorial. So the most time that you're probably going to come across them is is more than likely if you've stumbled onto what they consider their territory. You've gone into their cave, onto their mountain, their tower, their swamp. Um, once you've entered that, then it's sort of like you, you know, are probably going to find yourself face to face with them. Or you may potentially come across them when they're hunting for food. It just depends. Um, and then when it comes to attacks, some dragons will fight to the end. Others may flee. Again, this really depends on the dragon. 
uh, I've noticed that when it comes to like young dragons, there usually tends to be an option where they'll fly away after getting to a certain um, number of hit points. So it just sort of depends on the dragon. Yep. And and some of the things to keep in mind when you think about tactics for dragons is if you look through the monster manual or the, the bestiary, each kind of dragon is going to have a different um, rough personality that, that mm-hmm. it uh, describes with it. So like the red dragons are antagonistic, the green dragons are something else. So mm-hmm. as you um, as you build out how they're going to interact with the players, just keep in mind that each each color dragon is going to have that different type of personality that you can leverage to to build an encounter that's not just combat. You could have that that mm-hmm. interaction with them at the start and have them scoff at the puny mortals that are trying to come up at them or or whatever. Oh, I <laughs> just totally depending did upon that. the personality. I definitely <laughs> did that with my dragon. He was chaotic evil, and one of my characters was like, "Can we reason with him? Can I talk with him?" I'm like, "No, he's just going to laugh at you and scoff." <laughs> <laughs> He's chaotic evil. He doesn't care. Yeah. So it's just something to keep in mind. You don't have to just be the 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 dragon that, that flies around and bites Breathe people fire and and people. And you could smile. you could have that you could have that social piece as well. So yeah, you know, you can have a nice approachable dragon that's really chill and mellow. Totally. <laughs> they don't have to be chill to be social. <laughs> you make your dragon however you want it to be. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty much um, everything I think that I kind of wanted to cover with dragons. Um, Like I said, you guys will find that it's a very expansive list of the different type of dragons, but pretty much one is available for practically every scenario. So check them out. Check them out. Mm. All right. So I guess that's time for my next one, huh? Yes. Okay. Uh, the next one that I have, I am not going to say say the name right Mm-mm. because I'm not sure how to say the, na- say the name right. Uh, it is... Uh, so a lot of the monsters we've been talking about so far, we've really been focusing on the D&D aspects of them and then talking about some of the Pathfinder functions that are included. Uh, this is a little different because it is a Pathfinder monster. Mm. And so I will just be talking about Pathfinder in this case, and we'll go from there. Now, if you are running a D&D game and you're like, well, I like the sound of this, there are tools out there that will allow you to... Um, to uh, take a Pathfinder monster and migrate them into D&D so you could use them there. I don't know what they are, or I would tell you what they are. <laughs> but know <laughs> that they're them, out there. Find them. So, so you, could, um, you could still use this in your game if you're like, oh, wow, that's just what I needed. Anyway, let's move forward. <laughs> uh, so this monster is called the Saguarai. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of like the Saguaro cactus. So um, sure. if you've ever... It's like the one with the arms and stuff. The one with the arms. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I only mentioned the cactus arms. because the saguari looks like a human cactus, and oh. and uh, they they live kind of in the rocky bad, badlands on the edges of the desert, and usually they keep to themselves and live in uh, nomadic tribes that that live in the desert want to be left alone. Um, they have really prickly personalities too. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. They're not huggers. Uh, but the reason why I included this particular monster is because so often I think we get into a a pattern where we put monsters in there just for the players to fight. Mm. And um, with the Sagurai, they are neutral in alignment. 
And they can even be helpful to people that are in their territory who ask for help, uh, Mm -hmm. even like cutting off a portion of their body to give them water. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Lending a hand, uh, like really. (laughs) But that being said, if you overstay your welcome or you're generally uh, encroaching upon their territory and being a being a prick about it, they're going to fight you. Being a prick about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'd love to say that that was intentional. Oh, man. But that was beautiful. But if you're if you're being a jerk, um, see, I avoided it this time. Yeah, you did. Then they are going to attack with with much violence and and fun stuff like that. Oh, fun. Okay. So, from a challenge rating perspective, they are a CR five uh, in Pathfinder, mm-hmm. and all of their stats are are pretty high. They're not exceptionally like over twenty or anything like that, but they're pretty high, uh, thirteen to eighteen kind of stats, uh, with the exception mm-hmm. of intelligence, which is is uh, oh. like a seven, and charisma, which is an eleven. So they're like at mimic level. Yeah. Um, um, they do have some special abilities there. So if you do happen to get into that uh, that fight uh, fight area, they have uh, what's called the needle cone. Mm-hmm. And they can do this three, three times a day, basically eject from their flesh a barrage of needles doing damage in a 15-foot cone. Mm-hmm. So um, like a... Like a like a wizard using burning hands, uh, they don't have to roll to hit. This is a a roll a saving mm. throw um, to avoid some of the damage. Gotcha. They also have needle that the it's called needle hide in the book, and I I was really like, mm. what on earth does that mean? Because they're gonna like hide the needles that are on their body or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> no it's it's hide like like an animal has a hide. Yeah. Um, the fact that it has all these needles, uh, if somebody is attacking it with a natural attack or an unarmed strike, um, mm-hmm. they automatically take one d four points of piercing damage. Uh, likewise, if they uh, if the saguara uh, if they grapple with the enemy, that they take an additional one d four from that as well. Eesh. Yeah, for every round that they're grappled like that. (laughs) Maybe not good for those monks. (laughs) Yeah, so um, additionally, another special ability they have, they have produced water. So this is what I was talking Mm -hmm. about before. Once per hour, they can basically cut a part of their body off and squeeze out up to a gallon of water. Now, if they do this four times, they get uh, an exhausted status. If if they do it eight times, they, they can only do it eight times and then they have to wait another 24 hours before they can do it again. But that's still pretty impressive. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so as I said before, they typically are going to live in peace. Um, but again, if a civilization pushes into their area, they're going to attack swiftly and violently. Mm-hmm. Um, and because and th- this isn't necessarily in the book, but because the, the, combat is typically happening where um where they live people are encroaching on their territory they're not usually going to give up mm-hmm. so if they get knocked down to a certain level they're 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 they have a high enough wisdom to know that maybe they should should retreat and regroup and reattack mm-hmm. uh but they're not just going to retreat and go away real um, thorn in the side yeah <laughs> and they'll also be able to I- identify well i don't have an option to regroup so if they if if that's the case they'll continue to press the fight because they are fighting for their home area here they're right? trying to make a point <laughs> okay i'm done i'm, done. I, I'm, I'm just i'm do you, do you want me to just wait here for you to do a few more <laughs> <laughs> such opportunities uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I actually used uh, used these guys in one of my um, one of my games recently, and I had a, a group that was trekking through the desert, and middle of the night they they hear the shuffling noises up ahead, and they went over sand dune like very cautiously, and they saw these two humanoid figures, but they couldn't really tell what it was. Hmm. Um, they ended up deciding to just back off and let it be and and go on, but. It was. This is exactly what they were. Was the the Saguari. They they. Uh, I was going to have this interaction where if they were nice, they could have gotten something, some information or something from them. And if they were jerks, then yeah, they would have had a nice little bit of combat on their hands. Yeah, this whole thing like <laughs> built up, ready to go. <laughs> hey, you, you got to throw things out there. If the players yeah. don't choose them, then they don't. Aww, choose them, so. that's that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Yeah. Um, so I think that was, was that all that we needed to talk about? Yeah, today? I think that was our, our four chosen monsters for this particular episode. Some good choices, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We will, uh, again, be coming back to this, uh, in, in the future, mm. who knows when, just mm. whenever we decide to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> whenever we want. You'll like so, it too. <laughs> uh, for those of you who have been paying attention to the credits, uh, you'll know that, uh, we have one more episode after this until we are going on a on a short break. And part of that break is to kind of regenerate the ideas, build up a, a little backlog of content so that we have stuff ready to go when we come back. So if you have ideas for shows, um, we mm. would love to hear them. You yeah. can reach out to us uh, via our website, becomingdm.com, uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash becomingdm. And on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. So Send us those messages. Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. I know that there's a couple out there that uh, that we've got we haven't gotten to yet. Um, mm. We just we're needing to do a little bit of research, so maybe we can do that on, on our break too. Yeah. And uh, but if you've got some ideas, we'd love to hear about it. Yes, please send us your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we got this time, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. And mm-hmm. until next time, stay nerdy, stay nerdy friends. friends. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us this week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll see you in two weeks.